Question for us to, to ponder. Um, what do you desire? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And what's a desire that you've had that has continued to be unmet? What is a desire that doesn't lead to hope, but rather a desire that has led to continual disappointment? Now, as adults, it's very easy for us to ask the question, what do you desire to a child? Usually the child will be really ready to answer that question and then change that a millisecond later. Right? It's very easy for them to tap into what it is that they desire and they're ready to share that news with you. Now, for us, if, as we've gone older and as longer period of times as you've lived on this earth, what happens to us when our desires continue to go unmet for a long period of time. I, I recently read an article and it said that by your 30s or in your 30s, the question is not are you wounded? The question is what are your wounds? It's not if you have them, but the question is what are they? What are the things that are disappointing? When I was uh, prepping for this, there was a, a time uh, I was listening to uh, like this worship music like mix on Spotify. And as I was uh, listening to it, uh, a song came up from when I was like a teenager. And this is what I love about music and why I think singing together is so important. It, it actually helps us remember things, not just on a head level, but on a heart level, unlike most things do. And I was brought right back to that moment when I was younger. I was um, not just like, oh, I remember what happened in my life. I was emotionally there. I remember the desire. I remember the excitement. I remember the, how that song plus that season of my life just brought me a ton of great inspiration, great passion, great excitement about what was to come. But as I was sitting there, that, there was also a great sadness that was coupled with it. If you remember the movie Inside Out, you have joy, and by the end you have sadness coupled right to it, and that's actually part of what it means to be human. But the, I, I recognized that there wasn't just this joy and passion and excitement that was there, there was also some sadness underneath it. Because at that time, it felt like I would conquer the world. There was passion that, that uh, did everything. I was moving towards, oh, it was so exciting. And then you look at what's transpired since then. It's, it, they don't line up fully. We've all been there, I'm assuming, though. I mean, it could be as a student, you had high expectations. And right before finals, you look back at what the year was. And you look back with nostalgia. It may be your New Year's resolutions. You think, oh, this year I have this desire to change this part of my life. This year is going to be different. And then all of a sudden, those desires 12 months later are unmet. And you, therefore, are disappointed again. Wedding anniversaries, birthdays, jobs. Where have you experienced those desires, but also those disappointments? Now, not only is it important for, I think, this in our individual desires, because that happens individually in each of our lives, but I think it's also important to think about this collectively. When we think of our desires and some important things that we've longed for as in the life of our church. 
Another way to say this is where have we, as God's people, where have our desires been, but then also where are our disappointments? In a few weeks, uh, we're celebrating our seven-year anniversary from being sent out of Somatacoma, which is crazy to think it's been seven years. Uh, now, for many of you, that journey goes way back prior to seven years. Some of you, it's, it's more recent, but for some here and listening, this uh, journey is much further back. Now, with twists and turns of just the normal life of a church, meeting spaces, MCs multiplying, not going well, this traumatic experience, all, the, all that, and then you throw in this massive pandemic right in the thick of that journey. And many of us right now at this moment in the midst of this wave, we still feel like we're just like <gasps> coming up for air, right? All the disruptions of life, all the fatigue that many of us have experienced over the last little bit. It's important to remember our own desires and disappointments, but also to reflect and not forget what those were. Because the desires that we've had from the beginning of the church, dating back to before we were sent out so much coma, are the same thing. That every single person in our city, whether they're a teacher, they're a nurse, they're a doctor, they work at the grocery store, they're at the restaurant, a child, a paraeducator, every single person to have a daily encounter with Jesus. For them to meet Jesus, every single person, through everyday people like everybody in this room. So through you, through me, that they would do that. That for you as a disciple of Jesus to be so united with him, so understanding of your identity in Jesus, so overflowing of your love for him, that you naturally live every single moment of every day for his glory. Where you naturally share the good news of Jesus, not because you have to, but because you want to. You talk about what you love a desire that, we, that God's people would live in such tight-knit community that it becomes what the Bible talks about as an extended family. The desire to see people come to understand their personal identity and the people group that God has called them to so that they can spontaneously start sharing the gospel there. God would use them to see somebody come to faith and then all of a sudden there's another missional community for another people group that we didn't plan for but just because the spirit was working there. That's what the always desire has been. And in a few minutes, we're going to ask the question, what about the disappointments? But first, I want to be clear that this isn't something that we just thought was a good idea and thought up one day. Uh, this, this picture and uh, what I just said, we all, you've, if you've been around long enough, we've kind of used the term gospel saturation to capture all of that. Now, this is baked in the person of Jesus. It's, it's just so ingrained in his work and how he then leads the church in the book of Acts. And we actually see it early in his ministry in this passage. So let's look at what's happening in this text. This, um, we're in the middle of, or really just relaunching uh, a series that we're calling uh, Reframing Jesus. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. 
in the fall, when we started Nourish, we focused really heavily on John chapter 15. During Advent, we focused on John chapter, the first part of John chapter 1. And so today we're starting a, a trek through the rest of the Gospel of John, bit by bit. And so we get to this point now that this is the first time Jesus says anything. So it's, I want you to think about, and I don't want you to look ahead, but I want you to think, what were the first things he said, and what was the last thing he said in this book? John, the author, who was close with Jesus, was the disciple who was, um, whom Jesus loved, was with him at some of the most significant moments of his life. As you'll see in this book, in the Gospel of John, it is an unbelievable book. There's so many layers. It's, it's a book that I believe John crafted so that you would read for the rest of your life over and over again and always get something out of. It's so, it's so, there's so much depth to, depth to it. So up to this point, we've heard lots about Jesus, but not from Jesus. Even in this passage, we heard John the Baptist. This is his testimony. This is what he testified. He calls Jesus the Lamb of God. The author, John, calls him the Word, the Word that became flesh, the one who was God, who was with God, that everything was created through him and for him, that Jesus is the one that took on flesh and dwelt among people, that all of God's glory was seen in this incarnate Word. And so now we hear Jesus' first word. So let me set the scene. John the, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is standing with two of his disciples. He sees Jesus and he immediately identifies him. Hey, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now if you like the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, you automatically remember that that's a hyperlink to somewhere else in the Scripture. That's the Passover lamb. That's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now this is good news for the disciples. This is good news for John's uh, followers. And so as Jesus is walking along, literally just imagine him walking, and these two disciples start coming behind him. Literally, there's no figurativeness here, literally following him. And so Jesus recognizes him, and he, these are the first words he says. What are you seeking? That word seeking elsewhere um, is, could also be desire. Okay, So it's literally saying, what are you desiring right now? As we'll come to see in the book of John, uh, Jesus uh, often speaks quite cryptically. It's like if a normal person were to answer a question, Jesus would almost do the exact opposite. He would speak it in this weird, profound way that's like, like, did you really just say that afterward? Like, it, and there's always this next level of meaning. And it's because the author, he, you want to be able to read it here, but there's layer after layer after layer of what um, he's setting up. And so uh, he's speaking at this multiple layer. And so what does the disciples uh, say? He's like, hey, I want, to, I want to know what you're saying. He identifies Jesus as rabbi. He recognizes who Jesus is. And then what does Jesus say? Come and see. Followed by what? Follow me. The disciple then goes, and what does this disciple do? He goes and tells somebody else. Somebody else, he brings that person they identify who this is. Peter is given a new identity, a new name, a new understanding of who he is. 
And then, what does Peter do? He goes and tells somebody else. Brings them along. And then what does Philip say in the midst of this? The same thing that he heard Jesus say. Come and see. So you have this pattern right from the first. And John, just for my Bible nerd friends, John is setting up the first two chapters of the, his book like the first seven days of Scripture. There's seven days that take place in the first two chapters, just like it is in Genesis chapter 1. And hint, hint, the last seven days get just as much attention. So, I'll leave that there. But what, is he, what does it say at the end of the book? Go, uh, flip over to verse, uh, chapter 21. So, Jesus has died. His disciples are, are scattered. He finds Peter again. He tells them to go um, fish. And so he, he catches some fish. They have breakfast. G uh, Jesus is having this conversation with them. And then after he asks Peter three times, do you love me? This is what Jesus says in verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 17 and 18. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands... And someone else will tie you and carry you where you want to go. Verse 19. He said this to indicate um, uh, what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told, me, told him, follow me. Verse 22. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, what's the last thing he says? Follow me. Follow me. This, this, past, this statement Book ends Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life here on earth. And it's not literally get up and walk behind me. Follow me is Jesus' answer to what it means to be with him. This is the life of discipleship. To follow him. To come and see. To experience him. But then also to bring others along with you. For them to come and see. It's all in here plus a lot of other places on what we've always desired. Now what is it that these disciples were seeking? Well they were seeking the Messiah. They were seeking the Savior. They were seeking the one that they longed for. At the end of the day... What does it mean to follow him? And what does it mean to come and see? It's to be with Jesus. Simply stated. That's the heartbeat of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But it's also the heartbeat why these spiritual disciplines and practices are such an emphasis for us right now. Because we need to learn to be with Jesus. And... To be with Jesus doesn't mean to only be by yourself. It means to do, to do the things Jesus did and to be where Jesus is. So where does this take these disciples to follow him? It takes them on the mission to seek and save the lost. To see the brokenhearted restored. To see the sick healed. The lost found. This Follow him required them to follow Jesus wherever he went. And that typically was on the move. This is what Leslie Newbegin says. He says this, The deepest motive for mission 
is simply, or simply the desire to be with Jesus wherever he is. On the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. So for us, when we think of our desires, when we think of what we've longed for as we follow Jesus, as we see gospel saturation, a lot of it is we talk about mission a lot. We talk about it. But why do we talk about it? Why not just be a church that, folk, that does programs? Why can't we just put this program on, have people show up, do this, and then go about our week as if we, nothing else was happening? Why, why can't it just be simple and clean? Why do we have to go into the frontier of, uh, between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil? The answer is, is because that's where we get to be with Jesus. When I talk about mission a lot, I'm not just talking about mission because I think it's this new, fun, exciting thing. I talk about it because I want us to be a people where Jesus is. I want us to have the heart that Jesus has. I want us to be in the environments and the experience that Jesus did the hard work of discipling his followers through. This is about for us learning to be with Jesus because the greatest desire and the greatest need that you, me, and I believe every single human has is to be with Jesus. What is the good news? What is everybody's good news? It's that God sees them, that God is present for them, that God heals them, that God saves them, that God forgives them, and God is with them. It's being with Jesus. So for us, what do we do when our desires and our disappointments meet? Brothers and sisters, I believe that even in the thick of where we are right now, I think it's time for us to activate our missionary identity. And this is uh, where we're going in the couple months, which is, includes some special or essential emphasis that I'm, I'm wanting all of us to call and be committed to, is that we are as God's people, as his Soma, needing to more fully activate that missionary identity that God has given us. Now, I want to, as I do this, I shared some of this with our um, covenant community uh, a few weeks ago. And afterwards, I, I was reflecting, and something just felt really off for me. Like, I couldn't sleep uh, I kept playing that conversation over and over in my head. Like my, every time I, I thought about it, like my body had this reaction, like this, like I felt this unease within me. And I, I think it's, it's this. I mean, and I, I even feel it a little bit right now. The first thing is I don't want this to come across as do more when already so many of us are doing so much. So my fear is like, oh, this is going to be heard. Like, oh, we got to do more, try harder. I also, uh, the fear I have, and like, oh, well, why can't we just hunker down? <laughs> is I don't want it to feel like we're going to the same old, same old. Like we're just backtracking to where we were. 
Like, oh, okay, yeah, of course Justin's going to say that. Like, these are the things that are going through my mind as I think about saying these things in a group, to a group of people, calling us to these things. Like, well, well, if it hasn't worked the last seven years, why will it work the next seven? Or fill in the blank, uh, what those are. Now, I, and I know there's some completely legitimate barriers each of us face to activating that missionary identity. Um, so I, this is what for the remainder of our time, and I know I'm going longer than I have because I want to unpack some of this stuff. Um, so I want, as I go through some of these, I want you to start asking your question and start paying attention to how you react to what's a few things are being stated. What are the barriers that you face? Write that down. If you ever, I want you to, I want you to start reflecting on that. As I speak, what is your body, how does it react? Is it excitement? Is it passion? Is it anger? It, I want you to pay attention and notice that. We're going to take some time after uh, I finish this, praying and listening to the Spirit, and then discussing that. But each of us have some barrier to fully living out who God's called us to be. Whether that is a, a disciple, whether that's learning to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as family, or in this specific case, living out our missionary identity. So, what are some of the barriers to activating our missionary identity? I think there's, I want to just focus on three before I talk about the emphases, okay? I think one of them for us specifically right now is external. This is an external uh, barrier. That is COVID, Omicron, and I'll just say the heaviness of King County. I don't need to take too long here because I think over the last couple months I kind of unpacked this. Uh, but I'll, I'll just say it again. I'm, I'm convinced that we're in a place that's one of the most difficult to live and deal with in light of COVID and, um, and all that that entails. I'm convinced of it. I mean, when you, you go anywhere else, and it's not just the weather, although I do believe weather has some role to play, especially in January. It's gray, it's dark, it, but that's always been the case. That's not new. It may be new for you if you just moved into town. But that's always been a thing. But there's a, um, a bigger heaviness to where we are right now. It, whether it's political, whether it's like the COVID restrictions, any of it, like it's just heavy and burdensome. Like I was talking to somebody um, from Florida recently, like, oh yeah, I forgot about that COVID thing. And I'm like, how do you forget about COVID? Like, that, and one, that's probably too far on one end of the extreme. But it's one of those, like, what do you mean, like, that's, that's just all that's in my face all the time. Okay? Like, oh, and the amount of um, disruptions it's created in our lives. It's like, oh, if I'm, if I'm exposed, like, my son isn't able to go to school for 20 days because he's been exposed, not because he has. I'm like, like, what? Like, there's a heaviness to the restrictions that we have to deal with. It, it's just the missionary work that we're called to right now. This is where we are. I'm not like, I'm not a champion that's going to start fighting. I'm just identifying and just naming something that I think all of us feel. It's just heavy. It's not light. It, it, it's, there's a, a, a discomfort, a barrier. And then you add that to this um, next one, I'll use internal, but I think it's, it's both. It, this is fears. 
Now we could have fear, uh, how do we activate our missionary identity? It could be like, I'm just afraid to tell people. It could be that I don't want those people to not like me or it's I've tried it and it hasn't worked or whatever it may be. There's fears right now like I just can't have anybody over at my house right now. Like how do I even connect with people? Like I can barely keep my own life afloat. How am I going to actually lay down my life for other people? And with this, all, this is part of the fatigue that comes with both of, both of these. Brothers and sisters, we're tired. Like, it's hard right now. The last two years have not been easy at all. We keep running in barrier after barrier trying to do what God's called us to, and it just doesn't get easier right now. It's, can you imagine if March 2020, I would be, I'd say I'd be having this conversation in January 2022? You'd be like, no way. But here we are. Here we desires and now we have disappointments. What do we do with that? But I think there's something else that I, I want to name for where we are right now. And I think it's the, a barrier of, his, uh, and I'll, I'll use the term historical. It's the, it's the statements, we aren't as a church where we once were. And it's also this question, are we going to make it? The amount of times I've had a conversation with people that want to tell me something or letting me know something that's not going super well or some, whatever it may be, the amount of times that they say it and then say, oh, but don't worry, we're not going anywhere. I'm like, I, didn't, I wasn't asking that. I, like, oh, no, 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 we're, we love Soma, we're, we're here, don't worry. I'm like, should I be worried? So note it, like, I just want to name this. There's something in the air. Like, if you even feel the need to say something like that to me, either I'm putting off bad vibes, it's not really biblical, but you know what I mean, or there's this undercurrent that's just happening right now that just needs to be named. And let's just name it. We're not as, as many people as we were prior to COVID. And let's, I'll even be more honest. This predates COVID. Prior to COVID, we had 20 or 16, at that point, I think it was 16 to 20 families move away. Now you add that to families that have not moved away since then. And then you have families that have moved on, no longer with Soma. Still following Jesus, thankfully. We haven't thrown it, like that hasn't happened. There's no one that's deconstructing that place yet, by God's grace, which I think is huge. But we have some uh, corporate trauma that is just in the air right now. It's just here. And so not only is there this fear of like, I don't want to go back to the same old, same old, but there's this hesitance of like, yeah, but what will that mean for us? What's that going to mean for me? Like, if I really lean into relationship again, how do I know that they're not going to leave too? Right? Like, how, what happens if I live on mission to these, this group of people again? It takes years. I tell them about Jesus, and then all of a sudden, they vanish from my life. And all that investment is, uh, there's no return on investment as if we are a business that's expecting 
like I put in, I get out. Right? Like there's this, there, there's just something there that I, I, for us needs to be named. As someone that's intrinsically motivated, not just by this vision, but also the people that we, I do it alongside. That's something that, for my coaching world, I realized was it's just not about where we're going, but who we're with. When I see who we're with is not who we're with anymore, it's hard. We're relational people, and when relationships don't turn out the way we want them to, or when desires for something ends up in disappointment, we have that happening enough and enough and enough, all of a sudden, what's going to happen? We're just going to sit down, and we're just going to ride the wave. Maintain status quo. Comfortable. Hunker down. Be safe. And brothers and sisters, let me just say that that's not a bad desire to be comfortable. It's just how you get that comfort. If we think our circumstances are the means by which God desires us to be comfortable, that's probably more of a Western concept than a biblical concept. Our comfort, God, God is the God of what? Romans 15, 13, all comfort and encouragement. That's his job. So what does it mean for us to activate our missionary identity in light of all I just said? Because right, in some ways, we can feel it's insurmountable. As I was prepping for this, I started praying. I was like, okay, God, I feel like I'm at the end of my, I've tried everything. Now what? That's a really good place to be. It's really uncomfortable. As somebody that likes to plan, as somebody that like, likes to think like, about what's next, as somebody that has these big desires that not just for this, uh, this community, not just for federal way, but what this community can birth to see the nations reached all across the world. It's not a fun place to be. In um, our elder meeting today, Jeff said this beautiful statement. He said, what I like about these trips um, when people go to Africa is that it creates this desperation. And when you create this desperation, what does that lead people to? Prayer. Like, I don't, I can't do this. So God, you need to do this. I, I can't figure this out. But, okay, I'll, God, you want me to do that? Okay, I'll do that. The question is, how are we going to activate our personal and our corporate missionary identity? Because here's the thing, we have a choice, and each and every single one of us has a choice. We can either maintain status quo, retreat to comfort, or we can choose to follow Jesus to new frontiers, to back away 
or to double down. Many of us are tired. Many of us are still sad of what used to be or who once was with us. But what does this look for? So I want to encourage you to keep writing those down if those are coming up. <laughs> what are your barriers? But as we move, continue to address those, the question is what are we going to do and how are we going to move and see the harvest that we want to see? So we've, what we're wanting to do is we've been saying, okay, we need to be nourished. We need to make sure that the Jesus is the source of our nourishment, that he is where we get our comfort. He is where we get our energy. That's, so I want to continue to emphasize that and push you towards that. What's beautiful about these things, while they have dates on them, they're not bound by dates. We're going to be redoing some of them so that they don't have dates so you can use these whenever you want to. And we also know that there's a harvest that we want to work towards. So how can we get on a pathway towards a harvest? There's three things that I want to emphasize. They're, they're my pet, P-E-T. Prayer, engagement, and training. A few words on each of these really quick. The first one, like I just mentioned, is prayer. I'm not going to go into detail about this group, but there's a group um, known as the Moravians. The Moravians in 1727 experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like they never had before. This congregation that never exceeded 300 people um, started an around-the-clock prayer meeting that went on for over 100 years. In the 25 years following that outpouring of the Spirit, they sent missionaries that carried the gospel to every country in Europe, but also indigenous tribes to North and South America, Asia, and Africa. At that time, more than 100 missionaries went forth from this village community in 25 years. At that point, that was more than the whole evangelical church in the whole world from this one small community. And the common phrase by our beloved Seahawks quarterback that, for the record, I think will be quarterback next year, but that's another story. His common phrase is what? Why not us? Why not us? You look at every single historical movement of God, it is always, not sometimes, not majority, always bathed and birthed in prayer. If we want to see every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus, if we want to see one new missional community for every hundred people in our city, we must begin in prayer. If we want to see a spontaneous expansion of the gospel, where you are so moved by the Spirit, you go and you tell somebody, and all of a sudden, you find a group of people that are open to the gospel around you, and you are now, all of a sudden, discipling them and helping them follow the ways of Jesus, and then that births another one, and that births another one, and all of a sudden, we become this spontaneous expansion. If we want to see that, that where love is experienced, we have to begin in prayer. So, your, a personal commitment I'm calling you to is how can you personally grow in your life of prayer? I know we've been in the nurse booklets. I know we've spent two months in that. So I hope in the last six months it's already increased. But what, what does that look like for you? 
practically, we, uh, I've told our covenant community this, and I ask, invite you to do this. Take out your phone. Set an alarm at 10.02. Every day at 10.02, uh, it's based on Luke 10.2, uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, that he may send workers out into the harvest. So are you actually praying for harvest? Every day at 10.02, I pray for each of us, like God would send so much federal way out. I pray for the friends of mine that I'm connecting with right now that don't yet know Jesus. By name, one, it changes my heart towards them as much as anything. So I really highly encourage it. And then I ask that God would send more workers to the harvest, that they would join us in Soma Federal Way. So that's one thing. The second thing when it comes to prayer is we're wanting to start pre-gathering prayer. We're wanting to start before we come together. It's an easy time when all of us are already supposed to be together. We want to start just praying at 3 o'clock. So there's a room right there see in that corner. We're just going to be there at 3 o'clock. Just praying, not only for these things, not only for our gathering, but that what God wants to do. We need to see that. If anybody has a desire to step into and like, oh man, I've, I, I, could, I could be there and I can help people join that. And we're wanting to see fervent, zealous prayers. Like we're wanting to see some passion behind our prayers. Not that we believe passion determines if God answers or not, but it has the ability to change our hearts as well because our brain changes things. So we want to see that. Secondly, not only prayer is going to help activate this, but the second thing is what we're calling engagement. This is what we mean by that. We want our disciple-making environments to do what they are designed to do. And we want as many people engaged in all of them as much as we possibly can. So for your heart, for your own healing, for your story to be matured, for you to grow in your faith and experience depth, we want you to, as much as possible, engage in DNA groups. Our goal is to see 90% of our church, both here and in our missional communities, engage in a DNA group. That's where your discipleship hits the ground, the nitty-gritty. If you need to be nursed, you, uh, one of the best ways to be comforted by God is through brothers and sisters in Christ comforting you. Where does that happen? In the nitty-gritty of a DNA group. If you're not in one, this is my, like, like oh, I just don't feel loved. And Get in one of the, like, that's the environment where that can take place. Secondly, is uh, our gatherings. We, when we ex encouragement, experiencing God, exhorting one another through the scriptures, we want to more people to experience our gatherings. Real quick, as a church, because we're so MC-focused, missional community-focused, we have twice as many people typically that are involved in our missional communities than are engaged in our Sunday gatherings. Okay? So most churches, it's opposite. You have a lot more people in, your, in the Sunday service, and then you have some people that are in, engaged in um, the groups of the church. We're opposite of that. Now, we think that's good because we want our MCs to live on mission. We want our MCs to be engaging people that aren't part of that. However, we think it's a little out of balance still. Where we probably should have, like, if somebody's only involved in MC, like family, and not experiencing the rest of the body, they're probably not getting all the encouragement they need. They're not probably getting all the exhortation that they need, that this environment can give to them. So we're wanting to, our goal, and we're, 
is to see two, uh, around two-thirds of the amount of people in our missional communities a part of our weekly gatherings. We don't, we're not expecting you to be here every week. We're not saying, you get here or you're not following Jesus. That's not what we're saying. This is not the main thing. Missional community is still the main thing. This is to support. However, historically, back in Tacoma and here, we've come to discover that if you're living on mission and missional community and you're not part of a gathering, at one point you will wither out. It's just, it's, it's bound to happen. And that's not because I'm the greatest teacher. I'm not saying that you need to hear me, man. I got some great stuff. It's just for the sake of you. And last, we want our missional communities to really do what we want them to do. Mission, which is common friendships. We want to start calling our missional communities not just to being good family with one another, but being, uh, having a common network of friendships with those that don't yet believe in Jesus, where you're praying for them, you're orienting your life around them, you're living out the blessed rhythms of blessing, listening, eating, Sabbathing, and story. You'll be hearing more about that coming up. Where you're living out the rhythms of everyday life with gospel intentionality. We want to see the, that happening again. So for you, which of these environments is lacking in your current life as a disciple? What commitments do you need to make in order to more steadily and healthily engage in a DNA, is, or in gathering, or in mission as MC? And lastly, I'm not, this is going to be really quick, it's training. We're going to have different training and coaching opportunities in the coming months. One thing we're going to do is we're going to take uh, a couple times a gathering and make it all a training rather than inviting you to things. If any of this is interest of you, we're getting a small group of leaders from across the region together. We're just going to be meeting with the other Soma churches in the area to start to figure out how we can flesh this out, how we can learn from one another, how we can mourn with one another and weep with one another and celebrate with one another, all of those things. So, lastly, like I said, many of us are tired. Many of us are still sad about what used to be. And whatever it is that's a barrier to following Jesus to activate your personal missionary identity, I want you to lean into that. Whatever you wrote down, it's not just something that you wrote down. I want you to lean into it. I want you to ask questions. I want you to bring it to your DNA. If you need to process it through with me or one of the elders, pro let's process it. Let's, let's work it. Let's, let's figure out what that is. One other P, and so this is where we're going uh, in the coming uh, months and what we're working out and fleshing out. And one other aspect that I also uh, shared with our, our, excuse me, our covenant community and I want to share with you. Um, in light of all this and, and as we're working these things out, um, we have, and, um, Darian and myself, have uh, been allowed and given at this point, if all things go according to plan, here's a caveat, we will be taking a sabbatical sometime this summer for a couple months. Um, as I've mentioned, there's been a lot of fatigue, there's been a lot of exhaustion, there's been a lot of heart and work and stuff. And so, by God's grace, as we get into the seventh year, or seventh and a half at that point, we, and uh, it's been encouraged of me by fellow leaders that have been in my shoes for a lot longer. As I've reflected, as somebody that started ministry, um, my first staff job, I was 19 as a church, so I've almost been in ministry for 20 years in some form of capacity, on staff at a church for over 
15, 16 years now. Um, as I look around at the landscape of those that have made it to their, in my position, till they're 70, it's not a very, very large group of people. Um, and I don't want to be one of them. I love Jesus and I love his church. Sometimes I have to remind myself that he loves it more than I do. That I shouldn't love it as much as he does. But I love it. I know. I've had many opportunities to go do something else and probably make more money and be able to check off and just Cool, I work nine to five and be happy. I want to say that 25 years from now, while also my children love Jesus, while also still having my family intact. And one of the practices that we've learned is regular times off from the laboring of this work. I wish everybody was able to have that. For the record, like I, part of me is like, oh, like for us to have a couple months off, like I feel so selfish. Like it feels like, oh, like, but what about all, uh, and I want to, I wish and desire that, man, I wish we had the ability to say, okay, you just need a three months off. Go rest, refresh, get some new, renewed vision. I wish we could do that for every single person. I, I, I honestly do. And so therefore, part of me is like, well, if everybody doesn't get it, then I shouldn't get it. And I also recognize, and I'm going to listen to my, the mentors in my life that say, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. So we're going to be working in the coming months to make sure that that is like, done well. <laughs> Just to be honest with you. That there's people, we're looking for another uh, person, a staff position that can come and round out our team that um, is a complement to my gifts. Uh, even at a full-time capacity, potentially, not th uh, just to be able to not only bring us to that next step, but to all be able to carry us through that time off. Now, granted, lots of things can change. There's lots of different moving pieces. We just want everybody to be made known aware, uh, made aware of it now. Uh, lots of questions. I understand that, but with this, I want you to reflect. I went much longer than I expected, but I apologize and welcome to my life. So. This is what I want you to do. I just want you to take one minute and look at the list that you had. I'm going to invite Darian and Michelle up. We're going to start singing in a moment. What were those barriers that you faced? What, what are those things that are hindering you from wanting to activate your missionary identity? Is it an external barrier, the fatigue, the fears? Is it the, the historical reality of where we are? What, it, what are those things?